You see, we're looking at an event in history. The, the event of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. But you still have to ask the question, what does it mean? What does it mean that Christ rose from the dead? And I just want to kind of explore that together this, this morning, just looking at the fact that the, love, the God of love and fury comes as a victor. That is, he comes conquering, victorious. And this is what the resurrection means. It means victory. Victory for us in Christ. You know, the term I win, I don't know about you, but how many times have you said the term I win in your life? As soon as I say that, I think to myself, well, there's a, some people that would be like, well, I haven't said it enough, you know what I mean, right? Like, I wish I could have said it more, you know? Like, if you're in high school sports or even in college sports, you're like, man, you know, the dream of an undefeated season, that would have been awesome, right? Uh, and we, we, we want to win. We love to win. We, we like the, the, the narrative of our lives to be su- such that we think we are winning, right? We want to, to think, I've, I've, I've accomplished, I've done, I've I've, I've won, I've beat the competition. This is something that kind of dominates our lives in some ways from the start. In the city of Lakeville, Minnesota, you know, that state to the north of us that we don't talk about too much, it holds an a- annual celebration called Panoprague that celebrates the Miss Lakeville annual scholarship pageant, beer, brats, and bingo, a carnival, and the always exciting and often controversial baby crawlathon. Have you heard of it, the baby crawlathon? No, I, I don't think you have, but uh, emotions ran high, however, in 2015 when the winner, 10 months old, Berkeley Bailey, was disqualified. Berkeley crossed the line as the clear winner, but moments later, event organizers huddled together and then stripped her of her first and only title of her young life. The judges ruled that the tot actually pulled herself forward with her left side and lifted her right hand in the air to crawl. Panaprog president Diana Niemeyer explained to the newspaper that the rules were established to make the competition fair and give everyone a, a level playing field. Berkeley's mom, Samantha Moore, protested that the rule is unfair to babies who have a unique way of getting around, right? That's the only way we've seen our baby crawl, she said. That's all she's ever done. The doctor told us it was a crawl, right? Ms. Niemeyer said the issue first arose at, at the race in 2014 when a baby crawled like a bear on his hands and feet. I mean, isn't that what crawling is? I don't know. He finished the race first, but was also disqualified because, as Niemeyer explained, when you do it that way, you're a speedster. In 2016, they reported there were some close calls, but no disagreements over the late winter. Man, one year without conflict, right? Over a baby crawl. <laughs> right, we... We want to win, or we want our kids to win, uh, wherever they're in, right? I mean, like, this is the way we think. This is the way we pursue life sometimes, is that we, we want to win, not, not necessarily at all costs, but we want it to be, we want to win, right? Even when it comes to babies, we want to win. And, and the story of our lives sometimes is, well, I want to win, but I feel like I'm not, and I also feel like there's so much against me, and yet... So I'm going to redefine the terms in order for me to win. And yet when it comes to the resurrection, the Bible asserts that Christ wins. But what does it mean for him to win? And and this is where I go to Revelation chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Revelation chapter 5 and just notice what it says in, in, 
in the passage here. You can also have it up here on the screen. And I just want to point out that what Revelation 5 says is that he is victorious because of his death. His resurrection proves his victory. Notice Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 verse 1 says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the scroll, on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And this, is, this scroll here, as you read through Revelation, Revelation, what you realize is the scroll represents God's, God's judgment on earth, He's, his, but his ability to also to, to, to get rid of death and get rid of sin and to make things right. And so it's, it's, it's a picture of God's victory over his creation once again. And uh, there's no one able to do it. Can you imagine? I mean, I would weep with John in a sense. Can you imagine if we kept going the way we're going? If death keeps happening, if disease keeps happening, if war keeps happening, and it never stops, it just keeps going and going and going. Can you imagine what that would be like? But that's the picture here, in a sense. No one is worthy to open the scroll and to look into it. And so we have, therefore, no one who can set things right. And that's why John is weeping. It's, it's worthy of weeping about. Verse 5 says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the four, 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and the golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people from, for God from every tribe and tongue and nation. Here we have the reason why Jesus is worthy and why he is victorious. This is what we understand about what the, the resurrection is saying. The resurrection is saying that Christ's death conquered it brought victory over death and over sin and made him worthy to execute God's victory in the world. You ever think about who deserves to reign? Who deserves to win? I mean, right, I, I, not all of you are Cyclone fans here, I know, right? But we talk, you know, you, you listen to the coach talk after basketball games, right? And, and sometimes coaches do this, right? They're like, we, we deserve to win. It just kind of slipped out of our fingers, right? Or they say, sometimes they say, well, the other team deserved to win, right? We just didn't play well tonight. They deserved it. Like when we talk about deserving to win, we're talking about that kind of that, that performance narrative in a sense that says, I performed well enough to win. I deserved to win. I did what it takes to win. And, and when we look at our lives, we often wonder, well, am I doing what it takes to win? Am I doing what it takes? Am I able to win? Do I deserve what I have? Do I deserve what I've got? And a lot of times, sometimes we feel like 
I don't deserve it, you know, and we look with our lives, our lives with guilt, like I didn't, I didn't get, I didn't win this. And sometimes we look at our lives and say, I, I deserve more than what I've got. I've worked hard and I still don't have what I need. And, and, and we look at our lives like that. I, I like, I'm just going to skip forward here. I like Calvin and Hobbes. You know, you know Calvin and Hobbes, right? He's, he's that great child theologian out there, right? He says, I wish Santa would publish the guidelines he uses for determining a kid's goodness. For example, how much does he weigh motives? Does he consider the, the kid's natural predisposition? I mean, if some sickeningly wholesome nerd likes being good, it's easy for him to meet the standards. There's no challenge. Heck, if anyone can be good if, if he wants to be, the true test of one's mettle is being good when one has an innate inclination towards evil. He's making a snowball. I think one good act by me, even if it's just to get presents, should count as five good acts by some sweet-tempered kid motivated by the pureness of his heart. Don't you? Hey, Susie. Pow, right? Hobbes responds, of course, in your case, the question is academic. He responds, I wanted to put a rock in the snowball, but I didn't. That should be worth a lot. <laughs> right? And we're, we're always kind of trying to, to weigh this, right? Like, uh, how much am I doing? Am I doing what it takes? Can, I get, can, you, can you notice how far I've come, right? Can you see what I've accomplished? And if, if you can see what I've accomplished or see how I've kept myself back from doing all these evil things, then I deserve something good, right? I deserve cr cr presents at Christmas or I deserve a good life. Here, we see what God holds up as worthy of victory. Again, notice what he says here, going back. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Why is Christ worthy? Not because he didn't put a stone in a snowball. Not because he, 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 he lived a good life. But because he was willing to give his life to ransom sinners from death. He was willing to leave his throne. To take all the good life that he had as God. And give it up for us what kind of king do you want to have what kind of person do you want to reign over you is it not someone who would give up all he has to rescue you from death rescue you from destruction and here the elders and the angels are saying together you're worthy and god is agreeing you're worthy take the scroll and open it up Because it continues on, right? Then I looked and I heard the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and honor and riches and might and honor and glory and blessing. This is the worthy one. Why? Because 
not because he won some contest or he was the most beautiful or he was the, the smartest or he was the most athletic or he was the most accomplished, but because he was willing to die for us. And that means that he is victorious. It also means that he is victorious in order to win us. We, we talked last week and we talked on Good Friday about the fact that we... Our basic problem is we want to substitute ourselves for God. We want to say, I'm sufficient. I'm, I can do it on my own. I can make it happen for myself. And yet, Christ came not just to, to destroy that, but to win us, to redeem us from every tribe and tongue and nation and make us a kingdom and priest to our God to reign with him forever and ever. We want significance, Right? We want peace. We want love. Have you ever tried to win love on your own, right? To get someone to love you? To, to, to do enough that you, in a sense, say, I deserve your love. You know, usually that doesn't work too well, does it? Have you ever tried to, to win significance? To say to your boss or to someone important in your life, look, I'm significant to you and prove it to them. We, we do that, and yet here, Jesus does it for us. And it's all of grace. Denny Ridberg tells this story of a group of kids from the city of Chicago going to a camp. And they had hardly unpacked when the leaders received word about a theft. A work crew kid was missing a wallet, $35, and a watch. The next morning, Kirk, the counselor for this group of kids, found the wallet in the cabin, right? So he knows someone in his cabin stole the money and stole the wallet. He immediately called his guys together and hit them with hard facts. Guys, you did exactly what society expected you to do. You proved them right, and it's a shame. Now you've got 20 minutes to produce the money and the watch, or we're all going home. He walked out and shut the door. He could hear the guys shouting at one another, scrambling around inside the cabin. In a moment, the door opened, and the toughest kid in the crowd presented Kirk with $35 and the watch. The money was already spent, but the kids had emptied their pockets and pooled their cash. When the staff person came to pick up the stolen goods, someone asked, who did it? Kirk said, we all did it. We're all guilty. We're in this together. The kids were shocked by Kurt's display of solidarity. And he shut the cabin door and started to preach. He said, let's talk about grace. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. God is going to correct you, but he's also going to forgive you. Jesus is going to break you, but he's going to remake you. We all deserve to go home, but we're going to get to stay. It was the first morning of camp, but God had already gotten the undivided attention of 17 tough guys from the city. You see, that's where we're all at, right? Christ finds us with the wallet. We, we want, like, I want to live my own life. I'm going to take from others and do what I please. I'm going to get what I want out of life. But Christ didn't leave us there. He says, no, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. And together, I'm going to rescue you from sin. I'm going to rescue you from death. That's what I'm going to do for you. Later, a few, weeks, a few nights later, Kirk invited the work crew kid who had the money stolen from him 
to come and share his own experience of God's grace with the guys. Kirk said, now I'm going to pray a prayer. And if any of you want to pray with me and give your lives to God, then just do it. And by the end of the prayer, 17 baritone voices had cried out to God in Christ. You see, that's what we have in Christ. We have this grace where Christ comes and he just doesn't win the victory. He wins us. Because he's not just interested in saying, look, I'm right and you're wrong. He's interested in in rescuing us from sin. He's interested in bringing us back to himself and having us delight in coming to him and say, look, I can't do it on my own. I've messed it up. I've destroyed everything. And to do that, he has to show both his love for us and his anger with sin. He has to show us both sides of that. Why is that? Because he, it helps us to realize who we are and where we're really at. It also helps us to see that he's victorious over evil as well. And that's kind of the third point here this morning, is he is victorious in order to judge evil. There's a story told of a young man who went to a kind of a Narcotics Anonymous group, right? He was dealing with drugs and he was dealing with the ways that he uh, made money for getting drugs, which was having dogs fight and killing dogs. And he shared a thinly veiled version of what he had done. And the group leader counseled self-acceptance, you know, just, you know, accept yourself. It's, it's okay. You know, it's like, we're not here to sit in judgment, he said. What? To which the young man exploded, why not? Why not? If you just do stuff and nothing happens, what's it all mean? What's the point? So no matter what I do, hooray for me because I'm a great guy, it's all good. No matter how many dogs I kill, I just, what, do an inventory and accept it? You see, we inherently know that our, our, our activity means something. We inherently know that when we do something we think is wrong, that we need to do something about it. And sometimes the world just says, well, just accept it. You know, just be tolerant of, of things and, and, and just accept yourself and try to do better next time. And, and the point is, is that we know that doesn't work. We know it doesn't work, but we don't know how to get rid of the evil. We don't know how to get rid of the death. And the whole point of Revelation, from Revelation 5 onwards, is Jesus getting rid of evil conquering evil, destroying evil, making, making ultimately evil and turning it into good. He destroys everything that hurts us. Isn't that good? Isn't that much better than saying, well, just, it's okay, just live with the way things are. I mean, that's why John wept in, in Revelation 5, because he's saying, I don't want to leave things the way things are. I don't want to watch my loved ones pass away. I don't want to watch my, my loved ones hurt themselves and destroy themselves. I don't want to have my life fall apart in, in front of me and never know that it can be set right again. But the only way that happens, the only way that happens, is if evil is conquered. You do realize that, don't you? I know, I, I'm just kind of like everybody else. I wish that my evil, my personal evil, right, just kind of went away. It didn't, didn't affect me. Just, you know, I could just be okay. But it's not how it works. God made a world where our actions matter. And we want our actions to matter because we want to do loving things for people and know it matters. 
No, we can, we can affect people and love people and encourage people and strengthen people. And it's done good that we matter. The only way that happens is if Jesus reigns. It's the only way it happens. Because he wins us and he conquers evil. If you have, again, your Bibles, you can turn to Revelation 18. I've got it up here again. Revelation 18. This is where the, the summary, <laughs> Revelation is like a book within a book. But this is the end of the book, Revelation 18. Which says, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Here we see God's judgment. This Babylon represents, in a sense, the great city of the world and how the world system works to, to allow us to live without God. To kind of live the lives we want to live, even though it includes death and destruction, yet we can just continue to live our lives and enjoy them for the fleeting moments we have. And God's like, it's not enough. And he judges and destroys that system. And he destroys the evil it perpetuates. And he lists two main things here, right? Sexual immorality and greed. A desire for luxurious living. And that gets, frankly, all of us here in one way or another. We, we like what we have, do, not we? do we not? We like... We like the stuff we have. We like the things we can accomplish by getting more stuff. I, I think it was a Wall Street Journal um, poll recently I saw that said a lot of things are in decline as far as Americans' interest with things, but the one thing that's on the increase is an interest in getting richer, <laughs> getting more money. It's ironic, frankly, because didn't the pandemic teach us that we don't really need money? <laughs> you know, like... I mean, we need some to live, but the, the things that made life worth living were spending time with family and getting outdoors and taking walks and, and enjoying time with one another. And, and yet we're like, no, 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 we're going to forget that lesson and let's just go to making money once again. But Revelation is just saying that's what the world's seduced by. They're, they're seduced by this desire to keep money, make money, keep going after money because I just got to be wealthy. I've just got to live like somebody else. Like that person over there, they have more stuff than me. They're enjoying life more than me. And it's, it's almost like we said, well, the pandemic caused us to miss out on life. And the reason why I can't enjoy more of life is because I don't have more money. And so I'm going to get more money so I can enjoy and miss out because I missed out on something. Wait a second. Wait a second. Do you not see the mirage that that is? The lie that that is, that, that, that somehow if I just have more and more and more, I'll be able to enjoy my life. You, you do realize that Jesus Christ did not come to die to conquer death so that for eternity you can just accumulate wealth and more wealth and more wealth. So that by, you know, a million years in, you're, you know, you know I don't know, a trillionaire, you know, like. No, he came to give us life so we can enjoy him and enjoy one another. 
And, and we sit sometimes, we just get caught up and we get seduced by this lie that, hey, we can just, if I get more stuff, I'll be happy. And that lie will destroy you. It will destroy you. You don't need more stuff. You need more of God. You need to know him more and know his love more and know what he's given you and, and delight in it. And that's why heaven is presented the way it is, right? Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth, heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and he, God himself will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be there no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. <laughs> Why? Because Jesus is the victor, and he conquers the lies that seduce us. And he gets rid of them and destroys them and rescues us. And he's worthy to do it because he died for us and rose again. You know, the question really comes down to is what story will you live your life by? You can either live your life according to the performance narrative. Like, yeah, I've got to accumulate more stuff. I've got to prove that I'm good. I've got to accomplish more. Like, what have I accomplished? What am I doing to accomplish what I need to? And it's just all about your performance. Or you can live your life according to the grace story. God loved me enough to die for me. He loves me enough to, to care for me. He loves me enough to give me what I need, even though it's sometimes hard to take. And I can trust him, and I can follow him, and I can live in the midst of his grace. And that's why they're singing a new song in Revelation chapter 5, right? Revelation chapter 5, verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We've heard the old song, right? You've, you've heard it. It's the song of violence of evil around us. We see hatred amongst peoples. War. We've heard the song of you only live once, where people grasp for pleasure with uncaring and unfeeling hearts. We've heard the old song of he who has the most toys wins and see the hoarding mess that creates and the destructive greed that is underneath it. We've heard the old song of you can make your own way and live your own life and we see the heartbreak that ensues. We have a new song. We have a new song because Christ rose from the dead and we can say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is he to receive glory and riches and honor and might and blessing. Why? Because he died for us and rose again. And he's worthy to take that scroll and to kick evil out and restore us to himself. So we can rule and reign with him. This is, this is where we're headed if we've trusted in Christ. If you have trusted in Christ, it's, it's a free gift, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It is a free gift of God. That's what grace is. It's not performance. It's free. 
and we receive it simply by believing his claim to be who he is, his claim to do what he's done, and his claim to accomplish what he will accomplish. The question is, do you believe that? Do you believe he's risen? Can you sing the new song? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive blessing and riches and honor and wealth and glory and blessing. Is that your song? I pray that it is because he is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that Christ won the victory. He won the victory over sin. He won the victory over death. He won the victory over disease destruction and one day he will make everything new that's the meaning of the resurrection it's the victory he has won for us help us to rejoice in it help us not to sing the old songs but to sing the new song worthy is the lamb we thank you in your son's name amen